everybody. Welcome to the In Their Own League podcast. I'm your host, Bianca Garner, aka The Film Bee. And this is a special anniversary podcast, which is a roundtable talk discussion about the future of women in film. And I have some very special guests joining me today. First off, I'm going to um, get our In Their Own League writers to introduce themselves before we introduce our directors. I'm going to throw it over to the wonderful Rosa first. Hi, Rosa. How are you doing? Hello. Hello, everybody. Um, I'm doing good. <laughs> Surviving. I'm, I'm here. Um, <laughs> doing good. Doing good. How, how is everybody doing? Yeah, I'm doing well. Can you believe that it's been a year since we launched in the own league? No, it, it, it's it's surreal. It seems like just yesterday, you and I were, were on another <laughs> Skype call, like trying to um, figure out what, what, what to create with, within their own league. It, it seems quite surreal. It's, yeah, it's been a year. It, it's unbelievable. <laughs> I know. And I'm so glad that we've uh, managed to come together to um, do this discussion. So uh, I'm going to give it over to Valerie. Hi, Val. How are you doing? I'm good. I am in uh, the Tampa, Florida area. And so we're actually getting some fall right now, which is wonderful. It's not sweltering. So I'm sending you some, some nice fall weather over over in England. Uh, well, it, it's, uh, it's absolutely uh, tipping it down at the moment here, to use a British phrase. Um, so we could do with something less extreme. But uh, anyway, enough about the weather. Boring chit chat. Um, I'm over to Joan now. How are you doing, Joan? Hi, everyone. I'm Joan Amen, and I'm in Washington State, born and raised in New York. Now I find myself here, interestingly enough, and uh, really excited to be here together with all of you people and kind of a little nervous because, again, as Bianca said, this is the first time we've ever done anything like this. But this will be fun. <laughs> yes, uh, I'm glad I'm not the only one that's nervous. <laughs> and uh, last but not least, our wonderful Kaz. How are you doing, Kaz? Hi there. Greetings from Edinburgh, Scotland, where it's been raining all day here as well. Uh, but now I'm doing good. Yeah, yeah, I'm really looking forward to this. I'm really excited about chatting to all you guys. Yeah, it's quite exciting. So uh, let's get on with introducing our wonderful um, guests. Uh, this is exciting because um, we've not really had some guests on our podcast before so uh, we've spoiled ourselves and have got three wonderful directors to join us. Um, first off I'm going to introduce you to uh, S.B. Edwards if you would like to uh, take the mic, um, not actually take the mic but you know what I mean. I'll <laughs> hand it over to you to introduce yourself. Well thank you so much I'm so excited to be uh, in this wonderful uh, company, very privileged um, company you guys from Vancouver, British Columbia. Uh, we in Canada, as you may know, love talking about the weather, so I'm always down for more of that. We have some smoky but sunny skies. Uh, I am the director, writer, producer of a punk romantic comedy called Fall Back Down that's a feature and it's just doing the kind of mid-tier grassroots festivals right now, which has been actually amazing because uh, they're virtual and we can drive people to be able to see to see it. And that's turned out to be a real, uh, real highlight. Uh, I started out as a writer, then then became a director, and now I'm producing. 
under my shingle kiss off entertainment. And that is very um, like female identifying and non-binary focused for the creatives. Um, so I just want to create, I guess, a kind of alternate universe with my company where we do our thing. Awesome. Well, I'm very excited to have you joining us and um, interesting, be interesting to hear your insight uh, into women in film and the future of female filmmakers in the industry. Uh, now I'm going to hand it over to Lynn. Um, you might know Lynn um, from our sort of previous interview that we did um, when we spoke. We caught up last time about Sh uh, Sheffield uh, Film uh, festivals, Sheffield Documentary Film Festival, where they were sh showcasing a lot of your work. So it's wonderful to see you again. I'm really thrilled to be here. It's a, uh, I'm, I'm talking to you from Brooklyn, New York, and yeah. it's a extremely tumultuous time uh, throughout the United States. And this is such a joyful moment for all of us to connect. Uh, and actually today, my film, my new feature film, film about a father who screened in the UK, in Sheffield, in a theater. So mm -hmm. the first time since February that the oh, film wow. has actually been on a screen and, and you know, with, and we did a Q&A today. Well, sadly, I wasn't there, but it, I was there in, in voice. And so um, I just feel very shall I say, connected to the UK. <laughs> well, I'm so glad to hear that. I absolutely loved your film. And uh, you can, uh, going to shamelessly plug myself in here, but uh, if you want to check out my review, you can head over to the In Their Own League website. Um, I gave it five stars because it was absolutely wonderful. Um, so I'm so happy to have you on. And last but not least, um, I'm handing it over to Sarah. Um, Wonderful to have you joining us for the first time. How are you doing? Hi. Um, hi, thanks for inviting me. Hi, it's really nice to speak with everyone. Um, I'm doing well, thanks, you know, given the strange circumstances we're all in. Um, actually doing some editing and filmmaking has helped, you know, my sanity, to be honest with you, at the moment, because it's been so, uh, it's been quite a traumatic year in some ways, um, you know, for everybody, but uh um, but yeah, I'm a, an independent filmmaker based in London and I'm a sort of founding member of a film co-op and uh, we sort of like, we kind of make films, short films uh, and together as cooperatively and I've just, well actually I finished it a while ago but I just started getting some preview screenings and some screenings for my uh, indie feature and uh, then the lockdown started. <laughs> so. But uh, but we uh, yeah it's getting screening online at the moment on a on a on a, a website at, uh, for indie filmmakers actually in New Jersey so um, so I was glad just to get it out there somehow and um, I'm just working on developing some other projects and doing some editing at the moment so and just seeing how you know how things unfold I guess. Let's get into our sort of discussion. Thank you so much for all uh, introducing yourself so wonderfully. I uh, it's lovely to put a in a name, uh, as they say. Um, so our sort of key talking points uh, for this sort of podcast roundtable discussion, whatever we're talk we're calling it. I need to think of a snappy name, but you know. Anyway, anyhow, um, I think 
some a statistic that I found recently was that um, women comprise 20% of all directors, writers, producers, executive producers, editors, and cinematographers that were working on the top 100 grossing films in 2019. Um, and that was quite um, quite a shock to see that the statistic was that low. I thought it was a lot higher. Um, really, what should the film industry be doing to encourage more um, females to, to join and also stay in the industry? So it's quite quite a big question to ask, but um, who would like to sort of tackle it if, uh, if I hand it over to yourselves? <laughs> um, sh shall I shall I throw in a comment? <laughs> Is that okay? Yeah, of course. Go ahead. Um, yeah, I think um, I mean just speaking from my own experience, I think having you know access to equipment, um, understanding the kind of language. Um, I think like technologies for for me um, has been a big thing. When I was training a while ago, uh, it was difficult to get near the equipment. I was always like one woman training with about fifteen guys who were all seem to know know everything already basically so i think yeah just um i think um access to the equipment and training um is really important and i don't i don't think there's enough emphasis on that basically i mean from my point of view because it's good to be able i mean I, I in the end like i said working with some other filmmakers we set up our own film co-ops we work as a kind of a different kind of structure i guess but obviously we're keen to access the higher funding you know the higher back financial backing um, and uh, for me, it was a matter of like building up my confidence in my work as well. So I think there's issues of kind of helping women build up kind of confidence and networking. I was going to kind of uh, respond to something that Sarah said, which was uh, the idea of a different kind of structure. Uh, I think if we think of the film industry as a pyramid with the director or the producer at the top, then the structure will always confine us. And if we start to think as you have in a more collective way or a more supportive way, a way that um, it encourages the expression of, of a cinematic point of view, as well as access to what I think you're saying, Bianca, is, some, is the professional status so that women not only want to make films, because I think a lot of women are making films. It's whether those films are seen and whether films those women have a place in the industry. So that's almost like two different questions because what if we see ourselves as artists or we see ourselves as members of that infrastructure and they're both important for sustaining all of us. Does uh, anyone on the, in their own league writing team want to sort of uh, give their sort of thoughts on this? Well, I, I mean, I was curious to hear what the directors had to say, mostly because, you know, they're they're out there, you know, in the trenches, so to speak, dealing dealing with it. Um, you know, I did have a question, but I wanted to see, you know, the, what SB's thoughts were first as far as, you know, which, uh, you know, you have your, your producer, your own production company, you know, it seems... And I was just actually, uh, we, I did two pieces for In Their Own League. I wrote up some talks that were uh, virtual in-conversation events from the Toronto International Film Festival, which was the plus of the coronavirus because I didn't have to fly to Toronto. So I could just listen to the, these speakers. And 
uh, I wrote up a piece on uh, the Halle Berry's conversation and Ava DuVernay's. And I, I liked, uh, both of them were wonderful, but I really liked Halle talking about how basically just kind of make your own art, so to speak, that that's the power that you have is that you that you can create and basically you know not letting let people stop you from doing that because there are always gatekeepers or people who try to put you into like a particular box so you know i liked you know hearing sarah talk about how the the collective supports each other and i was curious you know what sb had to had to say before we chatted further mm. well okay you guys might have to stop me on this one because i just <laughs> like I just have like so many holes we could go down, but um, to maybe try to keep it to a hit list, I would say confidence is like an early thing. And I've tried to be kind of open about, and this has gotten easier, obviously, with the, the, the climate that we're in is just being honest about like, I always feel like I don't know what I'm doing. I always feel like, you know, like things are really challenging. And I think there was more pressure before to, um, or maybe I've just shaken it off, but this idea that you have to embody a sort of, I think you do have to inspire people's confidence, but you can do that as yourself. And you can do that while, um, you know, I think it's just important to break down the idea of who is a director, what they come across like, how um, capable they are, because all those things feed into a really um, patriarchal appearance. Like, I think there was a lot of this idea that, oh, that guy in a baseball cap who looks this certain way, like he looks like he could get it done. So, you know, I don't agree that that's the case. And uh, and so I would put that out there that like people should women ever, you know, should not spend so much time worrying about how capable you are and just be inspired by how much you want to tell your stories and try to do that, um, regardless of, you know, all the emotions. Um, and then I would say like, for example, um, TIFF, I found it kind of frustrating this year that there was like two female Canadian filmmakers who had features in it. And we I guess, I guess TIFF is not our festival anymore in Canada. Like, I think that becomes sort of clear and they became even more exclusive when they went online. Um, but they did a lot of Canadian female directed shorts and I would just put out there, you know, shorts, I don't think move, move the needle as much as people think. So I, I decided to save my resources and energy and make a feature and that was, I think, a good strategy for, for me um, in terms of using up your resources as well. Um, but yeah, it's sort of, it's quite sad, I think, about the way the festivals that are those, those sort of prestige festivals. And the flip side is now that a lot of things are virtual, you can find your people online. Like I've been trying to have the film like fall back down, not be geo-blocked so that people can find it. So I'm just trying to do a very grassroots thing. And I would say this is another way that like female directors can kind of go around the gatekeepers and not have to be uh, shackled by some of the old rules. And and there's more on that. But um, yeah, I, I, I think primarily to get back to your first question, what the industry needs to do is actually fund 
women directing narrative features because that is where the war is at. And I don't want to do any more training. I don't want to do any more networking. I don't want any more mentors. Those things, they don't do anything for my resume. I just need, like, I need to get gigs and I need to make things. Um, so I feel like all those initiatives might have a place, but in some ways on the ground, really just funding women directing their films is the best thing the industry could do. Yeah, I think, um, uh, for sorry, for, for like, say, for, for younger or, or new um, women young, or young young women that want to come into the industry, I, I do think, you know, some, some kind of access to, to training is useful, though, to help build up your confidence. Although, I mean, I agree with you in the end, I learned more just, just trying to make films by myself. Then I learned I was at, I was at Goldsmith a while um, well it was a while back but it was one of those situations where they had like 15 students um, two of us were female and um, you know the one one of the women was a focus puller and so she wasn't really kind of like threatening like the other directors but because I was in there to like get the scholarship and be a director it, it got really really competitive it surprised me you know how competitive everyone would be. And, um, you know, so I think like providing kind of like, but I mean, I did learn a lot though. I, I, you know, I learned like how to shoot film basically, but it, it was, it was a hard struggle. So, um, and, and I do actually run some sort of, sort of training now, like with, with younger women and, um, you know, just to, just so they build up their confidence, but I'm just, you know, speaking personally for me, uh, just kind of learning like uh, sort of terminology, you know, all the different tricks you can do with the camera is useful. You've got to learn kind of somehow and sometimes courses can give you like a shortcut to that. But again, yeah, I agree with you. Getting out there and making it is is probably the most important thing. Um, well, and I would just <clears throat> I would just clarify what I meant also is like I think those things are good at the beginning. Like that's your first obstacle. And I I <clears throat> I feel like. I mean, it's a sort of classic, like, misogynist, sexist thing to use knowledge, especially technical knowledge, against women as though that is a kind of, um, it's, it's like an absolute requirement. Whereas when you actually get down to it, having a good sense of, um, like, your tastes are actually really important and your sensibility and your um, casting instincts there's an argument that all of those are more important than whether you know about f-stops but the but the patriarchy I think is very comfortable making us feel like we we can be shuffled shuffled aside unless we can pass the pop quiz so I 100% agree with you I just like to kind of put it out there to break it down um, because I'd like to see the confidence barrier <laughs> diminished by whatever whatever means you know we could do that um does anyone want to add to that at all i had a funny this is this is going to sound a little silly so forgive me but we, <laughs> i was watching um i was watching it with my son Phineas and ferb candace against the universe and there's a whole segment in there, in there when you said that when SB was saying that, that we have a certain idea of what a director looks like. There was a, a wonderful uh, segment where the uh, the very brainy and capable head of the Fireside Girls, Isabella, who's Phineas and Ferb's neighbor, has a million zillion patches for guiding them through the wilderness, was trying to lead the way on an expedition on an alien planet. 
and the inept uh, scientist, Dr. Doofenshmirtz, wanted to take the lead because he was the adult. And uh, one of the boys in the group was like, he sounds capable. <laughs> and she's like, yeah. but I have the patch in navigating and I have, <laughs> you know, can you read a map? And he's like, no, but I can, you know, but I'm however old I am and I and I can do the, you know, and I was just like, I thought it was a wonderful bit of satire for what's supposed to be a kid, a kid show. She was way more than qualified. And he's like, no, I he's and they're like, but he sounds like he can do it. And then pro he promptly walked off a cliff in the next <laughs> in the next scene as he lay he turned, he like exited stage left and off a cliff he went. So, you know, it's it's funny to say, you know, we have an idea of like who is a director is the one like with the ball cap and the one who acts, you know, this way. And um, it, it was interesting to to hear like when Halle Berry was talking, it, it, she said, you know, she had never directed a feature before. And but she was trying to listen to remember things she heard from other directors she worked with. And Warren Beatty told her, like, the best thing you could do is delegate. You hire smart people whose abilities that you trust because it's a collaborative thing. It's not like you're the, you know, you're the boss for, you are the boss, but it's not like you should be involved with doing every little project. You've got to hire capable people. So she said that kind of took a little bit of the, of the pressure off. And she, and she likes um, talking to the actors because she said she's worked with some directors who don't know how to talk to actors at all. So she loves, you know, of course, as a director talking to actors so you know yeah i like talking about your confidence and and your skill set but i was curious as if to in either any one of you can start first on this is it is there somebody who you particularly admired that you made you want to go into filmmaking or um was there uh, something that you thought was lacking and you said, oh, I, you know, there's, these are stories I want to tell and, you know, I don't see anybody else telling them. What made you want to do what you do? I think I just loved cinema as a medium. You know, I've always really loved it visually. Um, I really like uh, a filmmaker I love is Maya Deren. I really, really, you know, I've, I've always really loved her work, basically. But I wouldn't say that that was, you know, looking at her films and seeing her in her films and the sort of thing she was doing. I wouldn't say that made me want to do it exactly. But I just saw that, you know, it was nice to. Yeah. I mean, it was great to see to see her work when I first saw it. And um, yeah, I think I just just loved like the visual, the artistry of film, you know, personally. So that that was what was kind of driving me, I think. <laughs> I would say Maya Darren was extremely important to me, so important that I named my daughter Maya. But ah. um, Maya Darren said that she could make a movie on the same amount that a Hollywood film spent on lipstick. Exactly. <laughs> she didn't even need the lipstick. Um, yeah. so I like that. And I wanted to mention two filmmakers who were very in influential to me, even though I don't make films in the same uh, way that they do and but they were two these are two women I think who not only found the the, the pathway and the funding for making short narrative films but also longer feature films and have really been acknowledged as accomplished directors who speak from the perspective of a of a woman and that would be Sally Potter and Jane Campion I mean to me they 
they really took the reins and and just directed their vision for decade after decade. Um, it always had their imprint. They weren't trying to imitate the big the guys at all. And those two women were just like or Hap continued to to um, articulate something that is so specifically female, but also that is that very successful. Yeah, I would have to echo Jane Campion for sure. I was also, uh, I went to art school in New Zealand. I'm a New Zealand citizen as well. And I mean, it was just it that story and um, uh, the way, you know, like she had this very early buzz that is so enviable um, with Sweetie coming out. And I think it was, I, w- I was more in like the art school I was more in the fine arts, um, <laughs> which is kind of funny, uh, because at a point I just realized like I wanted more time to tell the story and more pictures, uh, even though I had just ended up in installation. Um, but yeah, it was, you know, when you're in that, you're also hearing about others and um, and just looking, yeah, just like having this. It, it's sometimes there's and I think it's like the same with Ava DuVernay and there's just sometimes these very bright lights that come ahead and and all the things that you wish for um for very fortunately happen for that and I'm sure it's way harder than it looks from the outside but uh it does seem to create a kind of um a possibility in your mind that you could be this kind of rock star uh and and also um like a, a slightly different version of that is um, I, I love, like I'm obsessed with the first point break but by Catherine Bigelow. <laughs> like I love that movie. And it's so, it's really to my taste of also, it's like, it's a love story and it's like advent. It's like got this adventure in it and it's very pop culture. So I, I always was like, that was a story that I think didn't have such a, um, a great trajectory in the sense that as soon as, you know, I think it was K2 tanked or whatever happened next. And then there was like 16 years that she didn't make a film. And I just would like to know, like, I want to watch the films that she should have been making in the, in that 16 years. Like, where are those movies? Um, so I'll, uh, you know, I'll put that out there. And um, I think we're fortunate right now that technology has meant that maybe as difficult as it can be that we can persevere despite being overlooked or, you know, you make work and then if, even if it's not acknowledged to the extent that you'd like, you may be able to still keep, you know, making films. There's a few filmmakers who just make films every year or so. And that looks like a great life to me. I I mean, that's interesting because I was just wondering that we, um, the media seems to have it in for women who fail quite a lot, um, especially um, female filmmakers who have um, success early on and then they go on to have a flop. Um, I'm thinking, um, oh, there's so many examples that spring to mind. Um, and I think, interestingly, last year we had this sort of um, fallout from Charlie's Angels, um, which was, you know, famously had, uh, and this year, Birds of Prey. Uh, these are obviously big budget studio pictures, but they did um, flop at the box office. And I'm wondering, um, why do you think 
that is and what can we do to sort of avoid it avoid um female filmmakers being put off by this sort of negative response to to their movies <laughs> well I shall think, I put, I shall, everyone yeah. um is kind of like well i mean everyone is kind of sensitive to to the, to those things I, I i you know i don't know whether um whether, whether women get hit harder by it than, than men necessarily i think you know everyone's very sensitive if their work doesn't take off or if it you know if, if a lot of people criticize it or the audiences just turn away from it for some reason um but uh, i was just thinking sorry um about also agnes varda as well who's also one of my favorite filmmakers mm. and how i mean uh, you're sort of kind of framing things around the american film industry or which I, which i guess is, is is the most dominant film industry but uh, I mean, I really like the way the French film industry supports women. And there's, you know, it's so easy. Well, I mean, obviously making a film is not easy. So I don't mean it's like easy, but uh, it's, um, it's, you know, if you want to make a film, you get the backing to do it because they want to promote French cinema, basically. And um, so I think that's why there's very more, more sort of women making films maybe more constantly in France um, than... Um, well, then certainly where, where, where I am in, in the UK or, or maybe in America as well. I, I, but I think it's also part to do with the fact there's very few women critics, um, that there's far more male critics and they tend to write about uh, films by men, you know. So I think I think that's just one, um, you know, a couple of key points. I think there's a, a situation, at least in the United States, so I could mention Greta Gerwig or Halle Berry, where people think or investors want to trust or decide to trust uh, actress, actors, fem female actors who want to become directors because there's a face associated with that vision. And it's, it's just, it keeps happening. And it's also like, he, at least here, so often the person who becomes the next senator or congressperson is the uh, widow of some, uh, a man, you know, so it's like you have to have an association with either the industry as an actress, an attractive actress, or you have to be somebody's spouse. And it's just such a shame that we, that we have to carry that baggage. Yeah, I remember just this trend starting a few of them. There was like celebrities started directing short films and then it was a lot of and I, I obviously you know it's great that I think female actors leveraging what they have into those roles also is happening in tv and, and I ultimately I feel like it's great it's paving the way uh, but I remember being like oh and now I have to compete with like a supermodel who's like <laughs> directing as well like this is terrible like, I can't you know I'm already like so kind of beat down from from the competition uh, uh yeah I think that I to me the idea that we don't get to overcome a flop is just it's just annoying it's just part of like all my gripes with the way things are um it's it's just not it's not fair. It's not equal. Um, other people, you, you know, you watch them kind of fail their way up. And I, I think the only thing we can do is just try to call that out and say it's bullshit. 
if I'm allowed to swear, hopefully, because I <laughs> <laughs> otherwise. Um, but yeah, it's uh, there's just I think when what with what happens, it's very systemic. You know, it's sort of it's a paper cut here, it's a barrier there, it's not getting a review somewhere, it's people acting like your film isn't as amazing as it is, and then it gets kind of sidelined, and then same like it's the same in conversation, right? Someone else says what you just said. And then everyone goes, aha, that's so funny and like so mm -hmm. relevant. And I can almost guarantee you that someone is going to come out with a punk romantic comedy within a year or two. And it's just going to be like the biggest deal ever <laughs> because, you know, of the package. And I'm not sure what to do about that except, you know, be grumpy. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'll throw this question out to our um, In Their Own League writers. What, what do you feel, um, little leaguers, what do we need to do to uh, to keep women, you know, not being um, put off by experiencing this sort of backlash to, to their films if they flop? I think that the existence of In Their Own League goes some small way to helping that because we're so starved of female directors that would put them on this pedestal. And it's like, oh my God, a female director's done something cool. Everybody go and watch it. And then it's, and then if it isn't as amazing as we really hope, that's kind of our fault as well for not treating them the same as we would for anybody. So it's, I think it's great that in their own league champions, female directors, and part of that is being very fair in our reviews and saying a female director is just a director like anybody else. So we need to treat them all equally and not put them on quite so high a pedestal but at the same time champion their work and say you know be fair in, in what we say about what we're seeing um but but i think highlighting a lot of different female directors helps to normalize it and then that normalization helps to remove that pedestal and the pedestal itself is something that is can be damaging if the if the film isn't so good that's a good point. Um, Rosa, um, picking on you at the moment, um, have you got anything to add to that? Um, <laughs> of course I do. Um, <laughs> yeah, for, for, for In Their Own League, I just recently wrote an article about women in action and about the documentary Half the Picture, which uh, shines a light and, and takes a look into um, female directors in Hollywood. Um, and, and what the documentary said is what we all know. It's a, a Hollywood, it's a patriarchal uh, industry and women have to struggle. Female directors have to struggle. But also um, it, it's a combination of, of different um, factors that, that goes into this. And it was just recently brought up and, and it's also female critics. Having um, a great deal of female critics to watch these films, to be able to relate um, to the films, to be able to look at them with the female lens that the director was probably um, meaning for, for the audience to see it with, it's very important. And if you're only having men watching these films and men makes like what, 70% of Rotten Tomato film critics, and they're the only ones um, reviewing them. And, and pretty much a man is dictating uh, what Rotten Tomato score your film's gonna have, then that also isn't fair as 
as well. So it, it's it, it's a number of factors, in, in my opinion. Um, but yeah, just to echo what Cass said, uh, doing in their own league and, and having the website and having this podcast and highlighting female directors and, and, and women and, and their contri- contributions um, into the industry is a step forward because we do watch uh, films that a lot of people would not uh, consider watching because they're not the mainstream, they're not the block the blockbusters. There's, they're they're not well known, so to speak. And yeah, giving giving in their own league, um, having the the league as a platform not only to showcase uh, these films directed by women, but also having a lot of female writers. Um, giving their thoughts on these films is also important because, yeah, not not many of us are given the opportunity that Bianca would have given us uh, with with this podcast and this website. So, yeah, those are my two, three, Actually, four, five cents. That led me. I wanted to ask you a question about Rotten Tomatoes because it's shocking that a website with that name could have so much power. But I just mm-hmm. went to look at my page. And I hadn't thought about, well, how many women reviewers, because I've had quite a few women reviewers, but how many of them actually are represented by, or have that status? And there's seven reviews and only one is a woman. Right. Yeah. And and it's it's a problem. It's an issue. Again, it's nothing against the men, but it's certainly... Um, a, a continuation of, of this male-dominated industry that we need to um, voice and, and, and talk about because otherwise there, nothing's going to change. Yeah, well, I, I agree so. with this. I agree with this. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to step on anyone. I think that we need to be our own advocates as far as women critics, but we also be, need to be our own advocates as far as women in the industry. And uh, Bianca, love you to pieces because you've given us all this opportunity, but also... Uh, Maybe blogs need to link up with other blogs and direct women directors need to write for, hey, anybody want to write for the league? <laughs> women directors? Yeah. We need to be our own advocates. We need to be our own champions for our work to be seen, for our words to be seen. And I think that the next step along with the blogs and the film festivals is maybe we join together. Maybe we have a virtual convention of women in the industry, writers and people who create. And we have to be our own advocates. We be, pretty much have to be our own champions. The men have had Hollywood locked for decades. We all know this. So maybe it's time to take control and just say, you know, not only are we going to have film festivals, we're going to have our own fandom. We're going to build it up from the ground level. And we're going to have link-ups of blogs and directors and, uh, you know, what a convention traditionally has, workshops. We really have to, I mean, we have the power to do this. I just don't think we realize how much power we have. Mm, And that kind of stems back to what Sarah said about confidence. I think, you know, it is very difficult at the moment, um, you know, to to find that confidence in, in yourself when the world is so against you as, as a woman in a a lot of ways. Uh, But you're right, Joan, you know, we have, I mean, through the use of modern technology, we're all talking and we're all in different parts of the world. We have all these resources at our fingers. We just need to have that kick up the backside in order to get things done. 
but because nobody's going to do it for us in that regard. Um, I was going to say, uh, as I'm attempting to get to know how to weave social media into a kind of advocate place for my own films, film and a recent film that I've used all three platforms, and that's been a major challenge. But one thing I have tried to do is, to, for example, to connect in their own league with Directed by Women, which is in the States, or also Agnes Films, which is named after Agnes Varda, or Women Make Movies, or Film Fatalis, if you know about that group, which is a really big group of feature film, women feature filmmakers, very activists. And then there's also another big group, and it runs the gamut. You go from a film group, women's group dedicated to Agnes Varda, to women in Hollywood. But if you just, like, I'm, you know, if you just, like, sort of tag them both, then all of a sudden they're aware of each other, from the avant-garde to the people in the industry. And that's something I think that, um, like, maybe hasn't happened as much in the male dominated world where there's respect for the experimental and respect for the people working in a more mainstream way. I would just, yeah, I would just chat like my little cap on that uh, riffing off of what you guys are saying. And I am always like have this very dark sensibility and, you know, kind of harbinger, uh, but I mean, I keep doing it and I really believe that technology is the best opportunity we have and social media because as everyone knows the the appetite is out there the consumers are out there um there's a lot of advocacy on the ground um craving the kind of things we're making and wanting to know who we are and i don't think that like being blocked used to be possible we used to be able to be blocked by gatekeepers and nobody thinks that they're doing that, but it just is the experience that, like, no one person does that, but it's just the systemic experience that we all encounter. But now I just, yeah, I think it's kind of incredible that all the means through different technologies and platforms and even having your film go out through an aggregator, um, these are all ways we can just directly connect with people who want our the content and the storytelling that we're creating. So, I don't think that I don't think that we will be able to be stopped for much longer as we figure all this out, because everyone it's like it's like we're all waiting for each other on the other side of a big wall. But like, you know, there we're each there. The makers are there and the fans are there and we just need to connect. Um, I didn't realize that Birds of Prey wasn't a success. I mean, is that is that actually sometimes I doubt like I wonder about like what is the definition of a success and is there a weird spin on it um does something get kind of does the story become told that it wasn't a success when do we know the numbers what about international and sometimes once a story gets told once in the press it doesn't get revised it doesn't get updated once it goes international and makes 48 more million dollars you know, so I'm always really questioning the way that the reporting is on women's success. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it it's unfortunate that it came out at the time that it did, because obviously, obviously with COVID, it didn't get released in certain co- countries that would have helped it with its box office success. Um, and I think you're right, there is a lot of, um, I hate to use the term fake news, but 
there is a lot of fake news out there and something you know before it even has a chance to to actually get out into the cinema it's labeled as a failure just because it happens to be directed by a woman um or it, it has this sort of almost like an, an uh this negativity attached to it before it even has a chance to to be seen and there's a, a lot of films that have experienced this not just you know directed by women uh you know films that have been directed by women but films that are st- have a female protagonist seem to be attacked a lot you know we had um last year with terminator dark fate that seemed to have a lot of negative um responses to it and and famously captain marvel had you know people responding negative to it i mean what are people's responses to to the fact that the there still is this lack of uh big budget uh films that start have a female protagonist and we have a lot of independent features um that do center on um, and telling female sto- female-led stories but um of course these aren't the films that the general public are going to see in your local multiplex i had i was i was thinking of, of um a little bit back to what Kaz was was saying earlier, and I wanted to thank Lynn for mentioning all these other uh, groups that are similar to that champion other filmmakers like in their own league does, by the way. But um, to go back to what Kaz was saying, that I think it helps to, you know, it's like sense an ob- like an obvious thing, but it helps to have more of them so that it becomes more normal because when it's not normal you're the outlier and then you have everyone's hopes pinned on it and if you don't like that particular one like the captain marvel is a is a pretty good example there are things i liked about captain marvel but there are things i also didn't like from a storytelling perspective i just had a really hard time connecting with her as a female character and I think part of it was because she had amnesia. Um, and, and and but I wanted to know I wanted to see that what the um, I wanted to see her in the flashbacks from when she was in the Air Force, why she wanted to fly, because I felt like no pun intended, but I felt like the movie really took off once she found that she could fly. And there was a wonderful moment where her best friend tells her that she was that that she was. Yeah, paraphrasing here, but she she was the toughest gal she ever knew before she had lightning or whatever shooting out of her fingertips, you know. So I wanted to see more about this this person the before, and see you know that where that fire in her came from. And I know there there are a lot of women who like Captain Marvel and really connected with that. I didn't, and you kind of feel in a way like as a critic if you're kind of eh about it, you know. Yeah, and I people have heard what I've said, and and they're like, I could see why you're saying that. You know, I understand where you're coming from, but other people sometimes feel like you're being disloyal because you're not championing it 100% of the way. And there has to, you have to have, um, if you, you know, it's like raising a child. You can't, you know, which I'm doing. You can't. <laughs> some of us are moms too. You know, you can't just praise them all the time, or they're never gonna, you know, they're gonna think you have no judgment whatsoever. So, you, you know, you have to, to, to 
sort of call things like you see it and how you experience it and then say, you know, it's fine if this worked for you. It just didn't work for me. But that, um, you know, I think that, yes, there absolutely needs it needs to be more of a normal thing because then it gets to look at, well, what what makes this one so special or why should we all get behind this one? Or, you know, uh, and not to, the Star Wars is a weird example, but then, like, you know, if you go into to Rey as a hero in Star Wars, you know, so there were people who criticized her for being too, too skilled and too special. You know, some people she wasn't she wasn't special enough the first time movie and then others. It's like, oh, she knew how to do everything. She was too special. It's like the more. Um, the more normalized or broad, maybe is the word I'm, I'm going for, or widespread, the more different stories that you see, uh, then the more I think you're open to all these different facets of people's characters and personalities, and there's more of that give and take. It's more room for the movies to be what Roger Ebert used to call an empathy machine, and then you're not totally like fully honed in on one facet of, of it if that makes sense. I mean, I would just say to that is that, yeah, it's like who wants to be the one carrying the burden of the whole spotlight at that moment? You know, it's, it's too much. It's, it goes back to the earlier thing. Like we have to be able, we have to be able to fail sometimes and not, or just like, and what is failure? I mean, sometimes it just speaks to a lesser, smaller group of people and we're artists, you know, like that's, that's, this is what we got. It's not always going to be a box office smash. So definitely that's, I think that idea is pretty dusty and yet it gets dragged out, you know, sort of to, I think certainly not to our benefit. Um, yeah, actually I, I saw recently, I saw an interview with Deborah Granick actually, and it was going back a bit. It was from after she'd made a winter's bone and uh, she was being interviewed by someone who said to her, and what's take, what took you so long? You know, I saw a film that you made, you know, I don't know, 10 years ago, and it took you so long. And um, it was quite an intense interview because she almost went into tears. Uh, and I guess the question, I mean, it was obviously, I mean, I, I could feel all the reasons before she could, you know, and they say she couldn't list them. She couldn't possibly list the reasons, you know. But it's it's kind of really complex, isn't it? But one of the things that she said was, um, you know, after, after making that film, even though it was kind of, you know, really well received, etc., uh, she was kind of more or less forgotten. Um, and, you know, she wasn't seen as competent still to carry on and make another feature immediately, which, you know, which she should have been, surely if it had been. Uh, and, and again, I'm not sure why, whether it was the content of the film, um, you know, uh, because it, I, I found it quite a hard-hitting, obviously it's a very hard-hitting film, basically. I really like the style of it, that sort of this kind of naturalistic style. And I don't know whether, going back to what you were saying about, you know, women want to tell, um, you know, women want to tell stories about, about women and some of those stories could be actually really, really hard. And I think one of the things she was saying was we, we can take watching, if, if people can take watching a really violent sort of like... Um, I don't know, say Marvel film, why can't they take the kind of hard reality that was in my film? You know, she felt it was, um, uh, yeah, it was a combination of things. Like we're used to take, you know, we, 
um I can't I can't fully explain it but I think you know I think you think you know what I mean it's, it's a combination of the stories and I think the fear that women might want to tell too many hard stories as well to a certain extent that um not that the audience won't want them I think it's to do with with this kind of the industry really and whether the industry thinks they can sell them etc etc because women are still seen as such a hard sell even though that's not true, because as, as you, you know, there's so many uh, women's films that have made, you know, have, have really been massive box office, you know, box office hits, basically, directed by women and films about women. So, but it's still a hard sell. So, but, uh, <laughs> this is like this is a bugaboo. Yeah, it's a bugaboo because Deborah Granick is like could, should be the same story as Taika Waititi or something. Like those are the same trajectories. Yeah. She discovered currently like the a, just like a number one star and directors who discover that kind of talent. I mean, like she literally discovered her and put her in the lead role. That's epic. That's like that's like a major thing in Hollywood or everywhere that that someone can achieve. And the fact that there's even any discussion about Winter's Bone being anything other than like a masterpiece Again, it's like this fake news. It's this rewriting. It's the, you know, and it's just it's just a testament to the inequality that we can actually point at. And I don't remember the fellow's name, but, you know, he directed like a, a sweet, like kind of was quite cute film called Safety Not Guaranteed. Mm. And then like three years later, he's directing Thor. I mean, like, why isn't Deborah Granick directing Thor? Oh, it's you mean um, the think I think that's. I think that's Colin Trevorrow who did Safety Not Guaranteed and he directed Jurassic World because he went oh, from it? safety. Yeah. Maybe I'm misquoting <laughs> my like my major blockbusters or something, but I thought Sorry. he was tied. Oh, Thor, uh, Thor was Taika. Yes, yes. Sorry, Iron Man, I think was after maybe one of the Iron Men was after safety. And not that long after. I wanted to say something about Deborah Granick and also Kelly Reichert. Um, the thing about their their feature films is they they always have their fingerprint. So they continue to make work at their own rate, which is pretty, I think, very, for both of them, quite prolific. But they're not trying to make the to five times, but work with the budget five times bigger because you know what they'd lose? They'd lose the integrity of their work, their vision. Yes, they would have access to more money, but when the film's over, nobody would probably even remember that they directed it. They just would remember the stars or the special effects. So that's what I think is such a, 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 a an important imprint from the two of them on our community, but also from what I can see with both of those women directors is that they do workshops and they meet with university students. It's not that they've moved up, 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 and then they're not trying to cultivate women in the field. And that I also really admire that from both of those directors. Um, Kaz, did you want to um, add anything to this at all? I was thinking, um, I was thinking how to phrase this question. <laughs> so it's taking it a slightly different direction. Um, I think a lot of hopes are pinned on the next generation of filmmakers. And I see a lot of programs for young people. Um, 
And it kind of bugs me <laughs> as somebody who would love to get into doing this, but I'm not young and I already have a career in a completely different industry. So, um, so I was trying to, I wonder if you had any thoughts on how we can get more, more female directors or people, more women in the industry in general, because it's not just about the directing, right? We need mm. writers and production managers and all that, and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, I really liked what you said earlier, Sarah, about um, collaboration, because I think the the competition for attention and resources and, and and all of that stuff, it's it's so toxic competition and it's so off-putting yeah. Yeah. and it's intimidating. And it, and it makes me just sort of think, you know, there's no way I could ever learn enough and, and be confident enough to get into this industry because I would just get eaten by wolves. But what you said earlier about... Um, collaboration is actually really more inspiring because I could work with a group of people and collaborate I have those skills I could do that but what I can't do is compete with a bunch of men who already have the resources and I, I couldn't tap into that so I was wondering how how you think we could get more women into the industry in general and not just young people not just the people who are coming out of schools but there's women all across the land who have transferable skills and stories to tell, and how do we get those people in? I love this question. <laughs> well, I just had a little thing that I noticed. There's, um, you know, sadly, Lynn Shelton passed away recently, and um, Northwest Film Forum, who also showed um, Fall Back Down in the festival called Local Sightings a few weeks ago, they created, in her honor, um, a program for women over 39 to, I don't have all the details, but it's the Lynn Shelton um, women. I think if you just Google those things in connection with Northwest Film Forum, because <laughs> uh, they identified that same need and the importance of the importance of what you're saying. Sarah, were you going to say something? something? <clears throat> Yeah, I was just going to say, I was just, um, I know from, from what, for what what helped me quite a lot was there used to be uh, like a women's training uh, company called Sinestra based in South London. And they actually gave me a bursary based on a, a short script, I, sorry, short script I'd written. And um, that was then, I worked then with a professional screenwriter to kind of learn screenwriting skills and that kind of sort of in a way that started me off because previous to that I'd been working in sort of theatre more. Uh, so, um, but, I, but I always really loved film. And then I got another training. It was like, it was like a kind of bursary from a company that was called West London Media that were connected with Channel 4. And the TV, in, in those, uh, at that point, there seemed to be money going from TV stations into like workshops and those workshops were like kind of gathering new people basically and producing like video art or you know uh, short scripts or feature scripts or documentaries but I think you know there's so many it seems to me there's so many streaming channels and there's so many tv channels etc around that they could maybe be doing kind of creating that link in a way that's um you know, because uh, I mean, for that, for me, that was a really kind of like a great experience, basically. And also they did tend to work with people who live locally. And as like age wasn't wasn't an issue. It was just have you got a story you'd like to to tell? 
um, you know, maybe we can help you kind of create that story somehow. And I think um, um, that was, you know, that was for me, that was really useful. And it would be great if there was things around like that now. I don't I don't think there there are so much. But um yeah, definitely. I kind of maybe linking. Well, I mean, the film industry itself could do this, but it doesn't sort of seem to want to. It doesn't seem to want to like open out like these workshops and you know open out to people in that way. But I mean, Channel Four used to be really good at doing that, and I'm sure there's many other streaming channels that because I mean they all they all desperate for for content basically, and that could be one way of getting like a range of alternative content as well, not just the same the same old thing, you know. I think I think there's something to be said at any like regardless of age about um, partnering up with somebody as like a like a peer buddy because the the skills you have like you can make your film it's not going to be easy <laughs> it's going to be really tiring but it's also inspiring and it's rewarding and it's all those things and if you even just have like one other human who maybe you can do an exchange kind of like you could motivate them to make their short and they can work with you and you can wear all the hats. And I think it's kind of about breaking down that first barrier, like shooting something. Uh, it is annoying when like the industry says to us, they're like, Oh, you know, shoot it on your phone. And I'm like, I'm not shooting it on my phone. But like, I, I think if I hadn't already done like years, 10, 15 years of, all this other stuff, I, I probably, I would shoot it on my phone. You know, I'm not above it. I just, I want to sort of be where I feel I'm at. And, uh, but if I was trying to break in and, and, and like right, right from that first place of getting something to show the, what they call a calling card, um, I think just a single other ally and a, and a weekly or monthly bi-monthly meeting, you might be surprised like what you can come up with. And the cool thing about shorts, as, as tricky as they are, they're tricky little things. But, you know, it, it it's like when you want to write and direct writers, you can show a piece of material and people will will assess it. But directors really need to show something that's shot and edited and cast. So if you can do that, you know, you're on your way. And I would say, just like from how you positioned the question, I would put it out there like, I'm sure you are capable of competing with the main, like, like you're, you're prefacing it that, and I understand, like, it makes sense to go towards um, support and empathy, but like, I would say, I'm sure you're feisty enough that you could even just throw yourself in the fray and go compete with everyone else who you think you can't compete with. Um, <laughs> great. I love it. Um, Rosa, did you want to add anything? Um, probably n no, because I'm, I'm not a filmmaker, so I don't know how, how um, my, my opinion would, would help. But um, as a critic and um, someone who's been watching movies and I also have a, a full-time job that is nowhere near um, the film industry. I, I work at a hospital and I'm still doing school. Um, so I, I think what I've come to learn and what I've come to, to um, comprehend is that as a society, and I know I'm probably going to go a bit off tangent, 
But as a society, the moment, um, especially, I'm, I'm, I reside in, in Los Angeles, California, in the U.S. So the moment our society starts to deprogram and begins to see women as equals, as more than social norms, as more than double standards, as capable of being directors, of capable of creating, uh, like creating content that I think that's when we're going to start seeing more opportunities because unfortunately, again, we, we do live in a misogynistic society, which only see us as mothers and daughters and home takers. And that's it. Um, they don't think we're capable of anything more than that. So the moment we start to deprogram that mentality I think we as a society will probably move forward and we'll see for, um, far more representation. I mean, I'm a mother of four girls and every single day I tell them, don't ever let anybody tell you your capabilities, your skills, what you are worth just based on your gender and based on your ethnicity. Um, and it, it's important. It, it's important that we, we learn and, and then we try to, I don't know, bring awareness to it because once again, we, we change that mindset. I think we will be able to see some change. Yeah, I think, I think it's really important for, you know, for women to have role models as well. And, um, you know, I think sometimes film does seem very inaccessible. Um, cause I remember maybe 10 years ago, uh, when I was making some shorts saying, you know, yeah, I'm really serious about it. I want to get it. And people thought I was kind of talking above my station almost, that it was a kind of pipe dream for me to say, you know, I, I can do it. You know, I, I, I want to do it. I want to direct features. You know, I've got a good eye for like, you know, photography or whatever. And uh, but you're always make, made to feel that you're kind of shooting above your station. And, well, you know, maybe you should consider doing something. And, and also, I, I, I don't know here that um, writer directors are not really liked very much within the sort of British film industry, uh, although there, there are writer directors coming through now, but there used to be a thing that you have to have a writer, then you have a director, then you have a producer. Everyone's got their roles. And, you know, you can't be a writer director. You have to do one or the other. And there's all there's all these kind of, um, you know, there's, there's all these kind of unnatural kind of blockages all, all the time. You're told that you can't sort of combine like a, a number of skills. You can't shoot and write and direct or something. But I think often... You know, women, women do that. That's how women do do things. You end up doing multitasking to get to get your film off the ground, basically. So um, uh, I wanted to say something about you all. The, the uh, see, I don't see it as the filmmakers and then the critics are just responding to us because I think that what you all are doing for our field is monumental because you're validating it, you're putting what the, the, you're putting the films in history, you know, if they're not written about, then they barely exist. If they're not, if they're not, if there's not a review and, and when I say, actually, I don't even like the word review. I think crit criticism is more important, like investigation of what you're trying to do. And the fact that you all are doing this as a labor of love, and I say that in the most laudatory way, but it's a labor of love. You have other jobs wherever they may be. That just makes your perspective all the more interesting. And 
you know, for mo for those of us who make the films, when we get those responses that come from such a deep, analytical and passionate place, you know, that doesn't just make our day. It makes our week and also it makes our field more substantial. Thank you. <laughs> um, Joan, did you want to add anything at all? I would agree with um, that the critics are so vitally important to making women feel that they're acknowledged, that they're seen, that their work means something. That's why I love the league. We are coming from a place that I think that's really so much more potentially powerful than we even realize. And as far as what Kaz was saying, I would say that um, I have an example in my family right now. They're very passionate about history and they were following a web series that was writing about history and they actually approached the producer of the web series and after uh, talking to them and following them for some time, they actually are going to have a episode of their web series produced next month. So I think that there is opportunity there. It really depends on your interest. Now, my family member also has a full-time job, not in any way related to history or to media in any way. But I think if your passion is there, you can find a way. Uh, and I'm speaking as someone who raised four children as well. I mean, I'm loving what I'm doing with the league. I'm loving that I'm writing. And I am a writer. I come from a writing viewpoint. Would I ever direct? Well, probably it would be a disaster, but sure. I'd give it a shot, but simply because at my age, you know, I really don't care. <laughs> and I think that has a lot to say. I think that has something to say for it. I think we should say that with pride. Women who are not coming out of school were a lot more secure, were a lot more confident because it's not our first rodeo. Let's just go get the camera and let's mm -hmm. go shoot some stuff. Let's see what happens. Let's see if it sticks. And I maybe it's because I'm a New Yorker as well. I really have no qualms <laughs> of just saying, hey, here's my personality. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're welcome to critique it, review it, read into it. <laughs> so yeah, I actually, for my 55th birthday, I went out and treated myself to uh, my first DSLR camera. And this can only be a major complication in my life, but we'll see where it goes. So, and of course, I'm still writing, which is my first and my first and foremost love. I mean, uh, thank you, B. Thank you, Rosa, for the league. It, it's been a tremendous ride and really the high point of 2020. <laughs> <laughs> we needed it. We truly did. And uh, yeah, I think we just need to support each other and encourage each other and say, oh, unless you don't take the lens cap off, big deal. Go, go shoot me. Go shoot me. You know? Go out there with your camera, Kaz, and go do it. And, you know, that's what it's all about. Bianca, I love that you've introduced, you know, like now there's an, in this group, there's another woman from New York. We're both, I don't even know what <laughs> you live in, but hey, <laughs> maybe you could share all our emails and put our location. So now we like know about each other. <laughs> yeah, definitely. We can all collab on something, maybe. I love it. I love this idea of this community being created um, via via social media and, and thank I always moan about Twitter but actually it's actually brought us all together so kind of grateful for it <laughs> um does does anyone else have any questions that they would like to ask um, Valerie what about yourself uh well there's a to not to to be like one of those New York people, but I lived in Brooklyn for five years, Lynn. I was in Carroll Gardens and I overlooked the <laughs> 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 There's like a recognition on her face. I actually 
for those of you who don't know, I, I, I lived above the BQE. Oh, my Express, goodness. So I heard traffic running past all hours of the day and night. So when I so when I moved, I lived there for five years. So it's like in my late 20s. And I and I grew up in Jersey. But I still always say like like I still like have this tremendous affection for New York. And I've been in Florida way longer now. But when my husband and I were first were dating, it was too quiet to sleep in Florida. So he bought me a sound soother from the sharper image that played traffic. And it would honk, honk, and beep, and do little rooms. And it was like turn the traffic on at night. <laughs> but yes, you know, I would, I, it's been delightful just getting to to talk to you all. And I love Kaz's question, speaking from the old, the old people. I like not to, I'm not calling you old Kaz because I'm going to be 50 next week. So I'm just, so I'm like, I hear you, you know. <laughs> I see you over there. It's like, you know, it's the, that weird time of your life where it's like, oh, I don't really feel that old. I still got all these like dreams and things I want to do, but how do I do them? You know, and because yes, everything seems like like to geared toward a certain point of your life to launch you, and it, it not your second or third act, so to speak. You know, I you know I could throw in. Sometimes I'm like, so in Canada, and I, <clears throat> this is somewhat anecdotal and from my own like mental browsing, because um, also I like, I'm interested in work in TV. And I think directing TV can be a really interesting aspect to directing um, as a kind of, you know, just doing the work and being in your milieu. Um, so everybody is is like 45 and over all the female directors that are working in television and I sometimes I'm like maybe skip like just do other things <laughs> it doesn't work anyway it, nobody pays any attention to you it takes until you're 50 to break in like Holly Dale I, like I could list off so many if you like because we have a lot of shooting in Vancouver here as well like everybody is in their 50s, 60s, and I'm just like, maybe I should have done something else. With like, <laughs> I just like show up later when it can happen. So don't be put off at all. Just like, you know, jump in. I wanted to invite you all. I, I'm teach if you want to come. I'm teaching this workshop in Los Angeles, but I live in New York. But because of you know what. I can teach a workshop in Los Angeles, and it's about them uh, bringing together poetry with film at a place oh, called yeah. Beyond Baroque. Um, so it's for a, a week for a few different weeks. Um, and the reason, another reason I brought it up is I taught this similar workshop um, that was based in Harlem here in New York in May, and 17 people registered, which was a little too much, um, ended up we've all stayed very connected and we're making it, they've all been making these short film poems together kind of coming out of quarantine or in, we're not out of quarantine yet here. <laughs> um, and uh, so there's been really, really amazing things happening because of social media, because of these virtual ways of communicating. And um, so I posted it in the chat if anybody's interested. That sounds, awesome. that sounds great. Thanks. Sounds really good. Thanks. Perfect. Well, um, thank you all for joining me and the in their own league team. I mean, this has been a great chat. I think we're going to have to do this regularly. 
Uh, I don't know about you, Rosa. What what are your sort of impressions? I loved it. Um, I I regret not not being on this podcast as often as. Um, but no, I, I had a blast and and just listening to to all these different perspectives and stories and and and, and insights. It, it's quite fascinating to me. Um, I don't know. I, I just want to say a few a few words before we log off. Um, I understand these stats, these numbers are discouraging and, and unfortunate. Um, but we, if we let those numbers discourage us, then we're we're pretty much screwed. Um, let, let, we we can allow these stats or studies or anything um, stop us from pursuing our passion, our dreams, and just working towards our goals. Because I'm a woman of color. I'm a Chicana. I'm from LA, and I am perhaps as minority as minority gets. Um, yet, if I let those numbers discourage me, I would not be sitting here having this roundtable talk, and just recently being approved as a Rotten Tomatoes critic. So, it's, it's yeah, just oh, <laughs> thank Yay. you. Um, but no, 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 yeah, let's. We, we need to continue having these talks and networking and just getting to um, just get the word out there and, and, and um, yeah, just keep working. Don't let anything, no insecurities, nothing discourage you from, from pursuing your passion. And I think another thing I just want to add is the importance of um, promoting and sharing everybody's work. That's um, wonderful. What's wonderful about Twitter is the fact that we can sh- share you know, share it to such a, uh, so many people across the world and it gets, you know, it will, the right, at the right time, at the right point, you can get it to go viral and it just needs us all to be there supporting each other, spreading the word, you know, retweeting and just liking and just getting it out there and doing as much as we can. And, um, you know, through the power of, social media you can you know transform the world hopefully just to just to put my little 31 year old I would say you particularly did that with your your piece on film that virtual film festivals that yeah went viral (laughs) yeah and I just want to say Kaz's piece on cuties was also something that was you know really you know, really sort of connected with people. Uh, maybe not, not all, you know, eh. um, but it was such a, it really sort of had this this way of uh, reaching to, to a wider audience that wouldn't have been possible 10 years ago. So uh, I'm really sort of grateful for, for social media in that regard. Um, talking about social media, see how I did this um I would love to get everybody sort of twitter handles and also any you know websites that you would like us to to check out so if I go with our directors first um uh, SB where can we find you on the inter interwebs and the interwebs um well so on twitter I am SB Edwards baby the usual spelling uh their fallback down has a twitter Instagram and Facebook uh, were in all those places were uh, at FBD underscore film. Um, Instagram were by far the most popular. I think there's lots of like 
you know, our people are like, like punks and queerdos. And, and so there's tons on Instagram. We have over 2,500 followers. That's just organic. I'm really proud of, you know, just like being able to entice that many people to have some confidence in what my company Kiss Off will, will continue to put out. Um, and then the website is www.kissoffentertainment.com. Awesome. And Sarah, thank what you about for you? asking. <laughs> no problem. Sarah, what about yourself? Um, thanks. Yeah. Well, I'm the, the film co-op is at Filmcath Co-op um, on Twitter. And on there, we kind of update it's yeah, update stuff and there's clips of the film and um, clips of we're we're sort of like trying to put more energy into like the whole social media thing I and mean, I agree with you it's like really it's it's really good we tend to like make our films or get really involved in all that side of it but yeah it's important to to kind of really you know kind of really take advantage of all this this fantastic technology and social media so at film Caf co-op and also the feature I just made or well, I made it a little while ago but it's um it has got its own twitter site as well at fable of isabella um which again <laughs> we, we want to put more effort into developing it but yeah so but so yeah you can you can check it out look at some stills find out about the actors and stuff on there so awesome. thank you for uh, asking as well thank you <laughs> and lynn uh, where can we find you as well i i just did as steven suggested so i just like posted my various whatever you call them, handles or something. Did <laughs> you type it um, up in the chat? Yeah, sorry. Yes. I put it in the chat. Okay, yeah. so I'll look there. Yeah. You've got the poetry workshop. I mean, the, the poet, yeah. film poem in that, because that sounds just up my street, so. Yeah, actually, uh, we had the one I did based here in New York, but the, um, there was a woman from Uruguay in it and a woman from Ireland. So, I mean, strange things happen in the, the workshop world now that anything's possible globally there is no there there <laughs> <laughs> well we'll make sure to include all the links in our uh, episode uh, description um we'll get the pod pod wizard on that um working his magic um kaz uh, where can we find you on on twitter yeah i i only have twitter i don't do Insta stuff, I haven't quite got that far yet. Um, <laughs> at, at she spoiled it, even though I don't generally spoil things. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great it. Twitter handle. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it is good. Um, Joan, where can we find you? Uh, my Twitter uh, handle is J M A M E N N. And I'm also on the league, and I just have started writing for a site called Film Autumn as well. Congratulations! I'm I'm so chuffed for you. Um, Thank you. <laughs> yeah, this was so fantastic. I loved it. I'll just continue quickly. Uh, Valerie, where can we find you? Uh, I'm on Twitter. It's my it's. Uh, gosh, I'm forgetting my my name now. It's <laughs> I hate when that happens. <laughs> Uh, it's Valerie Calfrin, so it's it's uh, V like Victor, A L E R I E, and then you know your last name K A L F like Frank R I N, and that I'm also uh, I write for the League, of course. I write for a couple different sites. I write for Looper 
occasionally, and I also have been posting stuff on Medium on my own little Medium publication. It's called StoryStruck. So, so I will sometimes repost League stuff there to get more eyes and the link back to refer them back to the main site and, and, and other thoughts. So Make sure to definitely check that out. <laughs> and Rosa, where can we find you? Um, yes, I am on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter <laughs> at Rosa's Reviews. I am also co-founder, co-host of my podcast, Latinx Lens, where we highlight and um, shine a light on Latinos' representation and contribution to the industry. Um, yeah, again, thank you. Thank you for inviting me. This this was a treat. I really liked it. Um, and if, if, if you guys have any films um, for us to review or, or anything like that or you um, well I mean I, I can use my little my little power now with, with Rotten Tomatoes or, or mm-hmm. anything like that um, yeah send them my way I, I will put in my information along with my email and yeah support support is everything if we don't support each other then we're probably not gonna go <laughs> get pretty far yeah that's just so true um and of course you can find me at the film b and also uh you can follow us over at their league on twitter as well um i just want to say that i um it's been a very hard year and i don't know what i would have done without um the the league and all of the support of the writers and just everybody really has been such a great uh, positive force and has really helped and it's great to see that we're still growing so much there's still so much work to be done but I'm really proud of how far we've come in just one year and something that I didn't think was going to actually ever happen the idea of setting up my own site and making going out there and figuring out how to use WordPress and how to <laughs> you know how to even do do this whole twitter thing and how to you know be an editor i'm still learning but um it, it is really it's it's a lot harder than you think it is uh, let's just say that but um it's been worth it and everybody has it's just been a fantastic fantastic year and uh, i'm sure we'll have many more round table discussions to come in the future so uh, for everyone listening, um, wishing you all the best. I hope you're doing well and take care. We'll catch up with you next time.